episode 12 of First Strike. Thanks to everyone for joining us. Exciting episode. Got the three regulars again for the post Kotor Aether Revolt show. Just want to remind everyone to check out our friends at faceofacegames.com for all your singles, especially if you're in Canada. They're, they're basically the best online store. So let me give you a shout out to, to our cast as usual. How's it going, Brian? Everything's good, man. Happy to be here. How's it going, Doug? Things are good. Things are good. I'm pumped to talk about some stuff this week. And the King of Hamilton. How's it going, Robert? Life's, life's good. It's good to be on top. <laughs> All right. Like, you're already uh, preparing for uh, GP Pittsburgh. I saw in uh, some of the Facebook notifications I was seeing on my phone. Yeah. I mean, I got to pick up cards. Pro Tour is over. <laughs> we know the metagame now. <laughs> So th- was the metagame anything like we, we expected? I, I have to watch uh, our previous episode to see to see uh, what we predicted. Well, we basically said things would change a lot. Brian called that for sure that the standard that we were going to see at the SCG was not going to be anything like we see what we were going to see at the Pro Tour end up being a sea of, of modern vehicles. And ultimately, modern vehicles took it down. Uh, Lucas Esper Bertud ended up winning with uh, Marty Vehicles list. It's kind of cool that his middle name sort of is uh, Esper. <laughs> That's kind of sweet. He went with a more, I'm looking at it, and I was watching him play in the, in the top eight. Um, I was playing, obviously, the, the Hain list from face-to-face games, but him, he actually went with more one-drops in Inventor's Apprentice, and he was playing the har- two copies of the Harvester in the main deck. Sweet deck. Uh, first, Brian, what did you think of the metagame was this what you sort of expected yeah i mean you you gave me credit for being right i'll I'll take i'll take half credit i certainly was was wrong about some stuff um this was not the same format that was being played uh at the scg opens but uh i didn't i didn't foresee the rise of martyr vehicles i'm certainly surprised by that it makes a lot of sense um but i just kind of like it was something i dismissed out of hand because martyr vehicles was known quantity and you would expect that you know, if this deck really did dominate against the copycat decks, it would have shown up at the SCGs, right? Like, it makes sense that it would have risen to the top. And I think there was only, across two SCGs, I think there was one Martyr Vehicles in both top eights. So it, it really hadn't uh, made its mark on those tournaments. You know, there's a lot of reasons that could be. First of The first and most foremost reason is that they were suboptimal deck lists. Um, one of the things you notice change immediately are the mana bases. All the mana bases used at the Pro Tour were much better than just like the stock Mardu mana bases. The inclusion of uh, Spire, the new multi-land, uh, certainly did a lot to the the mana quality of the deck. And also just maxing out on Heart. I think some versions were probably kind of hedging their bets a little bit. I mean, that's a card that I was down on. And even in my first testing, you know, I, I never played it in Mardu vehicles. So my first impression of it was that it was a little underpowered. But what it actually is, is that it demands you build your deck around it. And once you build your deck around Heart of Kieran, it's just like, you know, it, it falls into that classic kind of trap where it's just a, a ball of stats, right? It's, it's just a body. It, it just flies. And we're so conditioned now to look for comes into play abilities on creatures and, you know, kind of these unique abilities that are stapled on things like uh, Kalitas and, you know, just things that fundamentally change the game, not just base stats. Um, it's the Tarmogoyf problem all over again. When Tarmogoyf came out, nobody thought it was good because, well, it's just a guy. You know, it, it doesn't do anything but attack and block. Well, if your rate goes high enough, it doesn't matter if you only attack and block. You totally change the game. And uh, Heart of Kieran definitely did that. So 
I'm, I'm only taking half credit for predicting what would happen. I said it wouldn't be the same metagame. I had no idea Marty was going to be played in, in this quantity. <laughs> well, Brian, uh, you were down on Harv Kieran. I uh, remember you, uh, I believe it was on that episode against Doug, but that's yeah, what we thought. Smuggler's was. Copter was, was in the format, so you didn't see a place. Uh, Doug, Harv Kieran, not in the super Planeswalker deck as we were hoping for with uh, when we first started uh, analyzing the card. But uh, what, what did you think of uh, the, the metagame that you saw at the Pro Tour when you were watching it this weekend? Well, Heart of Karen was great. And yes, obviously, it's easy. I can just dismiss the whole conversation we had because Copter was around. But I remember seeing the card and thinking, this card is just good. Like, it's just really good. It's hitting for four. You know, those numbers I was talking about, getting up to a 5-5 five, five in the air was pretty crucial. I, I brought that up with Veteran Motorist or Depala at the time. Um, this was in an Ishkanam metagame, right? So obviously, some of these things don't necessarily um, hold true today, but Aether Sphere Harvesters around, which is a five toughness uh, thing. So getting your Heart of Kieran up past that is pretty crucial. So Heart of Kieran was great. Um, if he's going to take half the credit, I'm definitely taking the other half from last week because I was saying, no, this is not a two-deck metagame. Now, funnily enough, right now, kind of is a two-deck metagame that's a different two decks than the two decks that we were talking about it not being a two-deck metagame. And that was kind of my point that we're not just in this Jeskai and green black worlds. Like if you look at the numbers, even from the pro tour, there's a lot of people who played the copycat deck. One went eight, two, one went seven, three, everyone else did worse than that. That's it for like people who had super high results at the pro tour with the copycat deck. You look at Mardu, obviously infinite in the top eight, there's a guy at nine, one and three more people at seven, three. If you look at green black, didn't have as big of a showing, but it put one in the top eight an eight, two and two, seven threes. Uh, turns out the 8-2 and one of the 7-3s were Sean McLaren and Dean McLaren. So shout out to Alberta. Those boys put up some pretty sick uh, results this weekend. But um, I'm really, really pumped for uh, this format going forward. My my uh, pick for best deck isn't even one of these big three. I think there's going to be some shifting. People are going to start to solve the Heart of Kieran problem. That is going to lead this format in some interesting ways, which is going to kind of cycle some of these decks back and then copycats probably going to come in at some point and just dominate a GP because it's going to be the right time. And that's healthy. That's magic. I'm pumped. <laughs> okay, Rob, they have given us an overall view of the metagame, how they felt, but since you're going to the Pittsburgh, you're planning to play. I saw you, like I mentioned earlier, you're asking for people to give you some cards before Thursday. That's right. Hook a brother up. <laughs> hook a brother up. Hook the King of Hamilton up. What what are you gonna what are you planning for in your testing? What were you planning to bring? What are you taking away from the results of the PT? Yeah, so I, I had uh Jeskai Sahili built before the PT, and the deck is definitely good. Um, but it it's a very narrow win condition. Um, where like if you can interact with a cat or Sahili in a profitable way, it's like kind of very hard for that deck to win. And it doesn't have enough control elements to just rely on on gear hulking you out, it seemed. So I tried um, like jamming spell quellers and Avacyns in there to be more like a just guy flash deck, but that was just worse. <laughs> so it was like relying less on the combo, trying to interact on the opponent's turn more, and it like wasn't really doing what I thought it, it might do. I thought maybe Avacyn could be the mirror breaker, but it's not great. <laughs> so I was just kind of waiting for the pro tour to uh, to roll around to see what was what was going on. Um, I ended up building a red black aggro deck that was similar to. Uh, the list that uh, Doug was talking about that his friends played at the PT. Um, I I had similar mix of cards, but um, their 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 list is definitely much more tuned than where I got to on my first or second uh, pass through. And that deck does look uh, powerful, and 
is likely much more consistent, uh, you know, from a mana perspective than than Mardu. Um, but I think uh, I'm leaning towards Mardu right now. I've been playing it online since Saturday, and the deck is legit. Um, but it definitely does lose to its mana. So I think that it's difficult to say if it if it really is the king of standard because so many big teams with very good players brought it. To the PT that I'm not surprised that you know it pushed a lot of people through and uh, and put like all, you know a lot of decks into the top eight, but um, you just need to run hot. If you run hot, the deck is just I don't know. It, it seems unstoppable. So um, that, that's where I'm sitting right now. If nothing else changes over this week, I'll be on uh, red, white, black for sure. I think I'm going to cut the blue though. I uh, I don't think you're gaining enough with those blue cards in the sideboard and uh, just. Puts a little bit more tax on the uh, on the mana base that I I think the deck uh, severely does not want. Okay, do you have any approach uh, advice or anything in terms of your planning against the mirror? Yeah, so I think that uh, Fatal Push is <laughs> very good, and so is Fragmentize. So I've been running um, three Fatal Push, two Fragmentize online, and I've had uh, good success with one uh, one decommission uh, as well on the board that I bring in. Um, it's like it's not awful against the green black decks if they're on like a heart of Kirin, Harvester, Verterus, uh, Gear Hulk plan. So you can you can kind of bring it in there because you're not you're not playing murder and shock's not really good against the green black deck. So um so yeah that's that's the kind of the removal package I've been running with in the sideboard, uh, and it seems good. Uh, it's very attrition based. So if if oh I have one deck in stone too. It's good to hit those scroungers. Those things are are <laughs> are definitely annoying. So um. Yeah, I mean, you just you just want to be able to grind out your opponent. So a bunch of planeswalkers come in, a bunch of big mana spells, uh, and some more efficient removal, and you get rid of some of the chaff like Inventor's Apprentice, um, you know, and, and Thalia and stuff like that. If you're running that in the main deck, I, I myself ended up playing uh, because I had faith in my team, Team Face to Face, always with with the best uh, in in the top three constructed uh, rate. Like, the, the team record is always up there in the top three. They've broken almost – I feel like they've not – maybe not broken, but made a dent in every constructed format since uh, they've been – since, like, the Sigris, Hain, Party, PV, the whole team has been put together since Abzan Aggro with uh, Rakshasa Death Dealer and um, Fleece Main Lion, that deck. Since then, they've been having a lot of success. So I just jammed Mardu this past PPTQ – Going 4-1, you know, these PPP kills can be somewhat small. Ended up in, in top four, losing to top in top four in the mirror. And uh, throughout the tournament, I've had uh, – okay, uh, uh, there's been situations where I did lose to my mana, like you brought up, Rob, and where I would lose with three uh, unlicensed disintegrations that I just couldn't cast. And if I could hit them any source, I would win. And I kept bringing – I thought the 3-1 guy that gets you two energies when he attacks or can – blink when you pay to energy i thought like i didn't think it was that great but then i realized i needed the energy sometimes for the for the aether hub to do anything i was lacking some some source to, to make sure my mana wasn't bad so that was my experience with the deck uh doug you had mentioned a particular deck that you would be on so let's hear it yeah rob alluded to it i mentioned it pre-show um but it's red black aggro um fun fact about red black aggro from the pro tour nine people brought it to the pro tour Eight made day two. Um, that's by far the, oh, I say by far, that is the highest conversion rate of uh, any deck with at least six plus people playing it. 
Um, obviously, you get down to two people playing a deck. They both day two. That's 100%. But um, <laughs> so best uh, conversion rate with like six plus people playing it. Of those people, three of them ended up going 6-4 or better. There's a 6-4 and two eight twos uh, out of red black. So pretty good results if you want results-oriented thinking. But uh, if you look just at the list, and I'm talking specifically of uh, Sammy T's, Samuel Tharmaratnam's list, um, our fellow Canadian slash Brit or my fellow Canadian slash Brit because those are my two uh, nationalities. This list is sweet. Forerunner of Slaughter is in the deck and that's a, a card that we found uh, we were playing with in our red-black lists before Pro Tour Kaladesh. Um, Sammy and I decided to switch off of red-black aggro for Pro Tour Kaladesh to play Mardu, but uh, we had the Forerunner Slaughters in that list and it was superb. Back then we were making our Scrap Heap Scroungers and our uh, smugglers copters haste now you can make heart of karen haste which uh something brian mentioned to me pre-show like in the sequencing is you can play the scrap heap on two and they don't even know the heart's coming and then you can play the heart on three and give it uh haste and fly right on over crewing it with that forerunner um what weld fast engineer is a great four of in this deck and uh what kyt was just describing having some unlicensed disintegrations in your hand and not having the mana to cast it that's a big thing that this deck does does well is it you know has the mana consistency um while still getting to play most of these powerful cards yes you do lose some things by not playing white specifically uh the the one drops when um, we were switching to bowmat career and inventor's apprentice which are strict downgrade to uh, in my opinion to thraben inspector and toolcraft exemplar but uh, that's what you're uh, paying the price of consistency for. So this is what I definitely would be playing. And it's relatively cheap other than Heart of Kirin's, um, which if I can borrow four of those on Magic Online, I'm just going to start jamming with this deck like a lot because I, I don't want to buy any of uh, any of the other cards <laughs> as I'm trying to sell out of Moto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, how is this card so expensive? Is it Mortal tanking? Uh, I don't get it. So this is the deck you would play. Totally. That's this sweet. deck's super sweet. Okay, Brian, you you you're playing it at GP Pittsburgh. I am playing at GP Pittsburgh. Oh, what what is your plan, Mister? Uh, doesn't play test too much. <laughs> so, as usual, I have come to some logical conclusions, which will lead me to make some hyperbolic statements right now. And the first statement I'm going to make is that uh, Grasp of Darkness is unplayable. Um, and I think that unlicensed disintegration is also bordering on unplayable. I think that by giving up the mana efficiency, um, trading down with your removal spells, you put yourself in a disadvantaged position. I think this format is all about board presence. Um, and I think what I will be playing as of right now is a black green deck, more the energy focus build, something like Ken Yuka Heroes, um, who went, I think, 8 1 and 1. And my plan is to cut grasps and play Gifted Aetherborn in that slot instead. And it's a creature that kind of fills the role of getting on the board proactively. Um, and, and you just can't afford in this format, I think, to have reactive cards in your hand. You always need to be pressing forward. And obviously, there's games where you're required to take on a defensive role with the green-black deck. And I think playing a card like Gifted Aetherborn really does a good job of that. And, you know, on its face, the card like that seems underpowered when you're talking about things like Heart of Kirin. But if you actually think about the math behind it, if you have a gifted Aetherborn in play and they have, say, one drop Heart of Kirin, and, and those are the only terms you're playing the game under. Obviously, things get more complicated from there. But if you just look at it as that, you're actually ahead as far as that race goes because they're giving up their one drop creature and their Heart of Kirin 
to do what's going to equate to two damage a turn once you get your lifelink back, and you're doing two damage just off your uh, gifted Aetherborn. So on that transaction, you're doing just fine. And on all the other applications, like the fact that it can block the huge guys out of the green black deck who get pumped up, the fact that it can wear counters itself, and you know, in the late game, all of a sudden swing and gain you six life in a turn. Uh, I think these things are going to make a lot of difference. I'm excited by kind of uh, initial theory crafting and initial testing that I'm having some of my people do. And this plan seems like it's working really well right now. So in, unless this plan goes to complete poop on Moto in the next few days, I will be playing green-black. Um, but I am interested in having some games with this red-black deck. I kind of, I think it looked unimpressive on camera the few times it was on camera. And a lot of that was just draws. Like Sam definitely had some poor draws when he was on camera. Um, so I kind of wrote it off as maybe just the worst version of um, Red Black Aggro, or excuse me, Mardu Aggro. But as I, I look at the cards in the deck, I do see where a lot of things line up nicely. And one card that we didn't mention in this discussion is Incendiary Flow. Um, Incendiary Flow being able to target Scrappy Scroungers and just having a source of direct damage. You see how important Reach is in this format, where Unlicensed Disintegration, if it is playable, and I might dispute that, it's playable mostly because of the three damage tacked onto it. Having reach in your deck makes a huge difference. Uh, that's part of the appeal of walking ballista is getting reach into the green black decks. So yeah, I, I might run a game or two with the blood rat, black red aggro deck and, and see how I feel about it. But right now lean towards green black. Hmm. Is he out of his mind, Rob? You, yeah, you have a sure. huge reaction. <laughs> Unlicensed disintegrations unplayable. What are you mad? You mad? <laughs> Yes, I am. I don't know. Like, uh, I'm not sure how much standard you've played, Brian. <laughs> but uh, when you go like one drop, two drop, unlicensed disintegration, their three drop, and slam, uh, and then follow that up with uh, another removal spell or two more creatures. Like on the play, there's almost no deck that can come come back from that. It's just savage, especially in the Mardu deck where your one drops have three power instead of in the red, like it's, it's less powerful in the red black deck um, because the, the one drops are less power or less powerful. Um, but if you, if you like toolcraft exemplar into, uh, I don't know, like scrappy scrounger in, <laughs> into unlicensed disintegration is like pretty much game. <laughs> sure, but it feels if, you good. Replace, if you replace that run with, uh, you know, one drop, two drop, fatal push, another two drop, well, it's also very good. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's kind of where I'm at, is that I'd rather have more two-drops, more creatures, more ways to affect the board than get caught in situations where I'm having a reactive card in my hand. I mean, that certainly leads to draws where you can't push the advantage of, as much. I think because you're so incentivized to get on the board so quickly, mulliganing becomes more important. So if you, you know, you mulligan to six and you open two removal spells in your hand, it's very difficult for that to be a good hand for Marty vehicles, I think. Um, and, and for the green-black aggro deck as well. So I, I just think that board presence is worth so much more that I understand the deck is going to look very weird on paper. One of my only removal spells, at least in my pre-board games, are only four fatal pushes. But I actually think for the for the green-black deck to have the best chance of success in game ones, that's exactly what you want to do. Now, I'm not saying that you should make that same change. This is a change that's very contextual and I think important for green-black to make. I don't think that... Marty Vehicles should necessarily cut all of its unlicensed integrations. I, I do think they they have a place in that deck, but it, it's not the card that everyone perceives it to be. It, it's not the reason this deck is finding success right now. It's a very good card in the framework of the deck, but it's not what the deck is leaning on. I disagree. <laughs> it, if, if, if unlicensed integration is bad, why wouldn't you just play red-white? 
Like, well, you lose and then just swap black for scrappy you're scrounger. Best, you're best aggro creature. Yeah, but I mean, you don't need you don't need black mana, right? Like the mana is so much worse because you're trying to play unlicensed disintegration. Sure, but I, I think fatal push is the best removal spell. So even if I were pushing you away from unlicensed disintegration, I would incentivize you to play fatal push. Okay, I mean, yeah, fatal push seems fine. It's just uh, there are some three drops worth killing. <laughs> There's also like this one four creature that, that <laughs> this infinite combo creature that you need to be able to kill. And yes, I know uh, that deck didn't have the the result, but like that was part of the reason for that card. I think that could also be why maybe you're not a huge fan of it right now, but I know in red black, I'm all over unlicensed disintegration. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's like my favorite card in the deck, but you know, maybe Brian's trying to shift the metagame in his favor. He's actually going to play just guy. Yeah. He's on cat combo. (laughs) And I mean, we're just everyone off of that torrential gear hulks and these, these one fours. And we're just going to be looking at our fatal, our fatal push and being like, yeah, uh, listeners, tweet at me if you're going to take Brian's advice, and I'll just go back to playing Just Guy in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Listen, you got to be willing to kill your sacred cows, and I understand. My main thing, I, I'm talking about. Keep in mind, I'm talking about removing two Grasp of Darkness from Ken Yuka Heroes list and replacing them with Fatal Pushes and more creatures on the board. So it's not like I'm wholesale cutting six removal spells from my deck and say like he only had two outs to the cat combo in game one anyway. Besides walking ballista, which is also in the deck, so oh, I understand I'm giving up though. some edge there. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand I'm giving up some edge to the cat combo deck, but I think just having a more proactive game plan is worth more in this meta game. And we'll see if my my instincts are correct. <laughs> I do like it in your deck because now we're off this the um, the unlicensed integration. I do like what you're suggesting with the grasp of darkness switch. Uh, and I'm convinced that the Death Touch Lifelinker, I forget his name, but uh, I'm convinced that he could be the sauce in that deck. Yeah, he's, he's very good. He's very good. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I did want to mention before we uh, – any last words, uh, Doug, any on what Brian talked about? No, actually, I'm intrigued. I watched uh, Ken play against Hayne in a really sweet match. If you guys didn't watch that match, uh, Ken Yukihiro against Alex Hayne, I think it was around 13 really crazy match with a very swingy end of uh end of game two and a and a pretty nuts game three so uh go watch that ken yukihiro is a master that's all i'm yeah, gonna say he, he plays beautiful magic oh like, my god it's, it's one of those it's, few times you can describe magic as beautiful just thinking ahead to the outs and yeah and like i'm looking at the life craft beast area in the sideboard being like yes this guy ken is on some sweet tech here so you know i i could see i like two color decks I'm not a Marty Vehicles fan. I'm not a Jeskai Cat Combo fan. Um, so green, black, I can see it. You know, Sean and Dean's list is really good too, in my opinion. Um, and then, yeah, red, black, that's kind of where I'm at. Okay. I did want to mention quickly before I ask you guys' opinion about the Pro Tour and how it was covered as a whole, that uh, the two local PTQs were both won here in, in uh, Montreal uh, by Teamer uh, Aetherworks. So it's like um, a list that... It's just like a, the typical Teamer Marvel decks that we've seen, but instead of Emrakul, because it's banned, ops for four Ulamogs. And it has an interesting, uh, I think it was the exact same 75, uh, these two were friends, and the sideboard was interesting. It played four Voltaic Brawler, four Longtest Cub, four of the Hellion, and two Lightning Runners. So it, uh, I was talking to Maxim Chaquette, who won the PPTQ on Saturday, uh, his plan against Mardu Vehicles, and sometimes he would just go for the aggro plan, like switch his Marvel deck with all these aggro creatures, and then the, the, the uh, 
Mardu creature, uh, Mardu opponent might have cyborged all these dead cards now and, and lose and be like at a huge disadvantage. So this is an interesting plan, a, a transformational cyborg that I actually don't think I've seen in my time playing like Blue White Flash. I haven't seen any transformational plans, at least I haven't run into them. So that's pretty sweet. So for people who want something like completely off the wall to not completely off the wall, but it hasn't been covered. I didn't see it at the PT at least. Uh, not as it's constructed the way that they played it. So now we'll move on to to coverage. Brian, Mr. Uh, Esports, we'll start with uh, – let's just start with one thing at a time. What did you think about the advantage bar that they added? Why? What is this doing? I don't don't understand, like (laughs) – you know what tells you who's advantaged? Uh, in a game of magic, the battlefield, which is what you're already giving us a picture of. Like, I can look and see that this person has four creatures and this person has two creatures. Okay, this guy's probably advantage. Like, the reason you give us all the information is so we can figure out who's advantage. Now, I have many times said that you need to make magic more accessible to new watchers, new viewers. So I believe that that's what they were trying to do with this. You know, this is a way to someone casually jump into the game and look and go, oh, okay, this person's winning. Because I understand that can be difficult for people to ascertain when they're first starting out. But the problem is that that viewer doesn't exist. I want that viewer to exist, but but no one's tuning into a game of magic and is able to find interest in it now because there's an advantage bar. Whereas before they thought the game was boring. That's just not happening. Like th- this needs to be a more concerted effort. And I don't have the answers on how to do it. I, I think that magic has some flaws as a watchable game that are difficult to address. You need to present more information, but not this kind of like arbitrary information that a lot of times, you know, they weren't always on top of updating the advantage bar. Um, and you know what too, is that if, you, if you're if you a real beginner to the game, you really don't know what's going on and you see the advantage bar, doesn't it just add another question? Like, well, what's advantage? Why does, why does he have more? Like, is it clear that that's exactly what that's expressing? Because there's all these numbers and resources expressed all around the screen. So, so why is this one one that's kind of just based in the ether that we've decided to make up and not representing an actual concept in the game. Um, and I think that's something that, look, this was a, a, a correct, it wasn't the correct approach, it was the correct goal. I know what they were trying to do, but this just doesn't make the game any more accessible for a new viewer. Mm. Doug, are you pro, pro advantage bar? Not pro advantage bar, no. At least not in this current iteration. Um, I think that the the thing I like about them making this choice and doing it is they're trying stuff. They're trying to up their broadcast game, and and you know having some uh, failures along the way could be good. But when I was watching, there was times where huge swingy plays would happen, like a top deck fatal push. That uh, I think it was the Ken versus Alex match. That now I realize the board's like completely stable after this turn in the next attack, but they didn't swing the advantage bar. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe they didn't like see he drew it. So when he plays it though, like totally advantage back, right? And then he did, and like they, it barely brought advantage back. It was still like hugely in the one person's favor when I was like, no, it's no longer like this guy has more cards in his hand. Yeah, he's lower life, but he definitely is advantage now um it was just poorly implemented in my opinion it was sloppy i can see where they're going with it where they're like for new players the battlefield might not make a lot of sense sometimes 
um, or how a player can be lower on life total playing a control deck but have seven cards in his hand and actually be extremely advantaged. I can see why they would want to find a way to show that. But uh, it was just moving all over the place some matches, and it was so inaccurate. I'm not a fan. <laughs> the, the first match they did it was pretty funny because they they had it the wrong way. And it yeah. was like, what the, the heck's going on? I mean, if you listen to the commentators, you find out about advantage. Like, I know there's times where LSV will mention, like, yeah, I think that, you know, so-and-so has turned the corner and he has a lot of cards in hand, and I actually think he's in a pretty good spot. It's like, there's your advantage bar. Like, listen. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's what Brian – I think Brian tweeted it, and I agree with him. If, if it's good – as a player – as a competitive player, that's all I want to know. Like LSV telling me who he thinks is going to win. That's that's all I want to hear. Uh, Rob, defender of the advantage bar. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll <laughs> give them an A for effort, I guess, right? Um, because they they definitely were trying to figure out and do something like like Brian kind of alluded to to help someone that doesn't really know what's going on. Um, understand who's winning right like when i was playing uh doug uh in gp toronto like people like my family and stuff like actually tuned in because my friends were like hey rob's in the top eight like he's going to be on stream you guys should watch it so my wife's watching and she's like just constantly messaging someone else like that i know and be like i, I don't understand what's going on it looks like rob's getting wrecked like is he dead is he dead and you know he's trying to explain like no 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 don't worry everything's fine like It'll just be like one more turn and, and you'll see like a bit, very big difference in how this board looks. Because it was like, I, I was playing control deck, right? So it was like 20, 17, 13, 8, 3. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, 12, 25, or whatever, right? When Kalidas kicks in and starts. I was literally stuff. dead the whole match. I knew I was fucking dead. Sorry, I shouldn't have said oh, that. No. Oh, no. I was, I was so dead. I was so dead. And then. <laughs> so so what they're trying to do is like give something to those people, right? The thing that I don't understand is like how did this idea come about or the implementation of this idea, right? It's like it's just a very bad implementation of what they're trying to achieve. Like I'm a, I'm a software product manager and like when you have a, an idea, you like you concept it out, right? And then you test it and you kind of you know, look at it and see, like, does this actually accomplish the goal that I need it to before, like, just putting it on the screen? I feel like the way this came about was they got to the PT and, like, someone who does graphic overlays for the team was like, oh, hey, guys, like, I was just kind of messing around with some software and, like, I, I put this bar here and I can give you guys the capability to, like, move it left and right to try and, like, indicate. And they're like, oh, yeah, that seems fine. Let's try that out. No, no. What? What are you doing? Like, go into a closed room or something with – do some product – what? Why would you test it at the Pro Tour like that? Like, I feel like it was – it very much seemed like their first experience, everyone's first experience, the software developer, the announcers, the audience. It was their very first experience with this advantage bar. No one knew what was going on, and it didn't accomplish their goal. I think that they could implement something that would be more useful. Like just the way that those arrows were pointing and shifting back and forth. Like I didn't really understand even after they explained it, like who really has the advantage is like, if the arrow is very far to the left, does that mean like, does that guy have more advantage? He's more likely to win because the other guy's taking up kind of like more real estate sort of, right? I, like maybe it should just be like a, like a percentage, right? And you just slide this bar back and forth. It's like, you know, 20, 80, 60, 40, 50, 50, and they have some predefined points or something. And then you can kind of see like, oh, you know, player on the right, 75% chance to win, you know, from this position um, or like they're even, I, I don't know. It's 
yeah, I, I was just kind of very disappointed in their their implementation and their seemingly lack of understanding of how it worked and what it, what the reaction from the audience would be. Um, again, fistful of darts, throwing it at dartboard. <laughs> I love that. I love Rob. I love that. Uh, anything, anytime you can bring back that match against Doug from GP Toronto, that's Angers. just icing on the cake. That's huge daggers. It's that trophy there. I don't know if you saw that, Doug. Just... <laughs> I just want to remind everyone because I keep forgetting and it's important to do it in the middle of the show when we have a bunch of viewers. And if you enjoy the show, if you're watching, if you like what you're lis- uh, listening or, or viewing, then please give the YouTube video a thumbs up and please subscribe to our channel. We're at 880 subscribers. Our goal is to hopefully hit 1,000 very, very soon because it opens a few different features uh, beh- behind the scenes. So if you can get us to closer to 90 tonight, that would be super. So... Hit that like button. Um, Brian, I don't know if which team did you have. Did you have the Jerry Thompson team? For this I, did. I, I don't think they had a great performance. My, my second choice did very well. Musashi, I think they were the, the second or third best team. Uh, they were the, uh, actually, from after the whole PT, they're tied for first with MTG Mint Card in terms of points, face-to-face games in third. Uh, Doug, did you have this Japanese team or the other one? I had the last Samurais. They, uh, they don't need to be first at the start. They just need to be the last Samurai standing. So got a whole year in that team series, right? No, I think they were last, weren't they? Who knows? Who they knows? were the last Samurai, literally. I'm still all in on that team. I'm repicking them next time. Calling it now. 28 out of 32 for, for Last Samurai. And uh, the hyped puzzle quest didn't do as well as Rob was hoping. Finishing 10th. Lots of praise about uh, the the fact that there was this type of series made people actually made me watch. It made for more compelling viewing. I was actually after the standings were posted, I would always like control F the other team members and, and see how they were doing. Did it do anything for you, Brian? Uh, not yet, not yet. But I I'm, I'm not down on it, and I don't want you. To, I don't want it to sound like I'm. Let's throw this idea out. It didn't do anything yet. I thought that maybe it was a little overemphasized at this stage because there aren't a lot of consequences to the teams as of now. Um, I think that it certainly should have been talked about and introduced and the team should have been brought up. And But it felt like they were really beating us down with just team, 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 team. Every single mention, every feature was all about the teams. And that's good, kind of. I mean, it was a little grating at sometimes. Like I said, I, I don't have really bad things to say. It's just that it, it didn't push the experience over the top for me yet, but I see its potential. And I think down the line, uh, I could see myself getting really invested in the team race and it'll pay dividends as we get to the end of the season. Okay. Did it do anything for you, Doug? Oh, yeah, big time. I, uh, I really had a lot of fun watching, cheering on the teams. I loved seeing the jerseys. It's a start. Um, I always do a fantasy draft with uh, my friends, and we picked this time. We picked um, four players and two teams, uh, so we were, you know, I was totally invested in cheering on the teams that uh, I had face-to-face games in my in my draft with them. So I did pretty good on that front. So I also had last summer, right? Um, but uh, you know, so it was super fun uh, for us to just have this little fun just thing to be cheering for, as well as individual players, and uh, and it was cool, like. You know, we were talking like, man, Dex Army is like really strong or whatever, and we're just kind of talking about that. And 
uh, MTG Mint and Ben's cards, like they're pretty good too. Like, I don't know, it was just this little extra element as opposed to just like these players or these conglomerations or whatever. Um, yeah, Timothy, if, I, if I could hop back in real quick, because sure. the chat pro- pointed out something really great to kind of go along with my point, and I want to make sure it gets said, is that um, the Wizards, like I said, emphasized the teams over and over, team rosters here, the teams, but they never talked about how the teams were doing. We never got a standings update. Like, here's where the teams are at. Here's here's the scores for each of the teams after X rounds. That's kind of weird. Like, if you want to talk about the teams all the time, you, you have to tell us how they're doing, right? Like, we have to – like, you said you were control-effing members of the team. They shouldn't have – Shouldn't they just had a list right. of all the teams and who's you know at the top of the board? So that, that was a little strange, but hopefully they'll iron that out in the next run. I think their graphics guy was like working on the advantage bar, so <laughs> maybe yeah. Every, yeah, every, yeah. Like, all the resources were tied up in the advantage bar. There's no yeah. anything else. Although I I will just say on that point, one thing it's not a contrarian position because I actually really agree with you. They should have done more, but I loved when they would show the top twenty standings like in between matches instead of showing shuffling. It would cut to that just like screen and there'd be music, which I I'm a fan of. But it would show the top twenty players of the time, and it would have the little symbols for their teams next to them. Small implementation, but I like that because it's really kind of starting to reinforce the the team idea. Yeah, I would have loved if it then panned to what are the top 10 teams right now and their points and then back. But, hey, like I said, Advantage Bar is uh, where all the real estate's going. <laughs> I'm laughing because I was thinking of, of doing the same type of joke, Doug. Um, what, what Before I move to Rob Stotts, Doug, you mentioned the jerseys, but there was, on my Twitter feed, there were a lot of people that say most teams had ugly jerseys and they need to redesign their logo. <laughs> Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, yeah. Some had ugly jerseys. I mean, come on, Hari Uyas was, like, awful. Like, that's got to be one of the worst jerseys ever. But I don't know. I don't mind that. Like, the fact that they're doing it and it's a start and, you know, this is, this is like, level one. Uh, you know, they're going to get better jerseys. Um, I, I just like that they're doing it. And, yeah, some of the jerseys were kind of kind of garbage or like that t-shirt that the top eight Donald Smith guy had uh, that was like just lingering souls or whatever. Like it's a start, right? But I'm just a fan that it's happening. And uh, then the ones who have really sweet jerseys like channel fireball ice, especially as well as face to face, like just these phenomenal jerseys. Like that's just hype to me. I don't know. I love it. Okay. Rob, how did you feel the team? Did they keep throwing darts to you or? Yeah, I still don't really care. (laughs) It's fine. Like, I think it helps the narrative a little bit because they have more junk to talk about when nothing's going on. So I think that's, I guess that's, that's good. Um, the thing, the thing that I really find weird about the teams is that it very much favors qualifying for the first pro tour of the year. If you're not already queued, right? Cause if like, if you queue, if you're not queued and you queue for the third or fourth, Pro Tour of the Year, it's like the whole team experience is lost on you. It doesn't matter, right? You can't get on a team even if you wanted to, um, and even if you could, like, no one would really, you know, care to have you on it, right? But if you queue for the first one and and maybe you, you know some people, then you can, like, maybe if it looks like you're going to hit silver or, or something like that or, or queue for another event, you can, like, get on a team. But if you do that in the third PT, then there's no benefit. So, I'm not sure exactly – it's just – I don't know. It's just kind of a weird experience, right? Because, like, uh, that's going to be more than half of the, the PT players, right, that are just kind of, like, left out in the cold. Um, and, yet, yeah, those players aren't as good as the people that are there, you know, for the entire year, but it's still kind of meh, you know, for them or whatever, right? So it'd be, 
it would be good if they figured out a way to kind of include those people. I, I don't know. Maybe like at the end of the year, they just take like the six top pro point leaders that are not on a team and that just becomes a team, right? Or I, I don't know. That's probably not correct um, thing to do, but uh, I guess those people are likely not going to have the the you know the highest pro points anyways. So maybe that is reasonable and they don't just uh, automatically jump into the like the top standings or something. So I don't know. I'd like to see something there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I still, I still don't really care. It doesn't matter. I think the jerseys look clean. Uh, it's a better, it's better for camera. So that's a, that's a plus. People aren't showing up in whatever shambly clothes they brought to, <laughs> to the event, un, unshowered and, and sitting in the feature match area. <laughs> so, so that's nice. They have nice, clean, shiny jersey to wear. Uh, that that's a positive. I'll, I'll, I'll give them that. Maybe at the end of the year when the race matters, uh, I'll change my mind. But at this point, still don't really care too much. <laughs> uh, uh, and and then there was, uh, they had a video about uh, where they had Rich uh, Hagon interview, well, talk with uh, two guys from Twitch about their partnership. And I wonder if, for me, I guess... I didn't. I'm not really sure what they bring to the table exactly. What features they're they're planning? I didn't feel like maybe I missed something, guys. That that you guys can tell me, or is it just like a sponsorship so that they can have the money to to do more GPS? I guess that's my understanding right now. I think um, it's both, um, but I think that like because Twitch is one of the only, or sorry, Magic is one of the only tabletop games that Twitch actually cares about they do need to partner with Watsi in a more significant way to like actually get the experience somewhere where people care about watching it that aren't already invested in magic. Right. So I think you're going to start seeing some more interesting things. Like maybe that stupid advantage part was Twitch's idea. I don't know. Cause maybe like some of the, like you could just have some director in there. That's like, I never know who's winning in magic. Like, how do we know who's winning? And he just like yells at someone. It's like, go make a bar that can tell me who's winning. I'm like, I guess I'll just do this. Uh, I don't know. Um, so, so I don't know. So stuff like that's probably going on. I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but I think you probably have tighter integration between like the Watsi coverage software and like what capabilities are exposed through Twitch or through the chat, something like that. Like you can, I think Brian kind of alluded to this uh, in a very early episode where it'd be, it would be cool. Like if, if you, when you hover over a card in the Twitch screen, then like that card will blow up or, or like there's a side, preview pane or something like that, right? Um, like uh, like you have in Moto. So like the, the Twitch people can help enable stuff like that. I think uh, maybe the, the end game is when like, you know, they cast their, their Shivan dragon, that like literally a dragon appears on the table that's digitized, right? And then it like goes over and attacks the other creatures. I think that's what we'll have really sorted it out. That's what that it sounds be silly, but that's why Hearthstone works, right? Like that's why Hearthstone is reasonable as yeah. a viewing experience because you get it's things visually like that. sexy, right? Even if it's really pointless <laughs> actions. <laughs> I think uh, you, you, Rob. I think you linked me in in our uh, private group that someone tried to do it on Reddit. They shared it uh, that you could add this, I think it's a Chrome extension that allows you to do just that, except afterwards, the were a lot of comments like doesn't work at all, so maybe Twitch can actually take that idea and run with it. Yeah, it seems it seems complicated and not uh, not easy to implement if you're accessing the post-produced video feed to try and scan, scan the cards. 
<laughs> Brian, do you see Twitch doing anything for for? Nope. <laughs> no. Nope. Oh, yeah, I don't know. What, the advantage bar was the big change I saw. I, it still like still felt like a very amateurish production at times. I thought commentary was good. I think they're getting better. Um, but still, they still have the same problems they've always had with not really uh, adhering to their roles and making sure they have a clear play-by-play of exactly every action that's going on. All these things keep not improving. I can't believe it's never been said to them. Uh, yeah. No, no real difference. I wasn't. There were some just really bizarre production choices that I was appalled with. Um, w- one thing, maybe this segues us to something else. I don't know if we're ready to go here, but I've been thinking about this a lot. I think it's critical that Wizards stops miking the play area. They ca- they should not have mics on the tables anymore. And that sounds a little weird, but I went and looked at some Star City videos, and I don't believe they mic their tables. There's no sound picked up. And the reason I'm bringing this up uh, is in regards to judge calls. And I don't think there's any way an audience should be uh, hearing what's going on in a judge call. They shouldn't be hearing the verbal interactions between players. I don't think there's any upside to it. I don't think it enhances the viewing experiences. And what it can do is lead to extreme controversies, which maybe we should talk about now. So there, there were a sheer number of uh, controversies over the weekend, but I don't remember one being as uh, big in terms of the response from from Reddit, from, from the Twist streamers. Um, it involved um, in one of the rounds of Standard on day one between... I'm, I'm going to forget his last name, but it was between Tian Nguyen and uh, Caesar. I'm just going to find his name when you guys are talking. Uh, basically, what happened was uh, Caesar had a Wellfast Engineer and a Heart of Kirin. So Wellfast Engineer is a 3-3, and at the beginning of your combat step, you can give target artifact plus 2 plus 0. And when uh, Caesar said combat and afterwards went to not only crew his heart of Kirin, but also wanted to give it plus two plus zero from the Wallfast engineer. Uh, Tian Nguyen called the judge over. And at that point, uh, a lot of things happened and then Twitch and, and Reddit exploded because ultimately it was ruled that Caesar had gone to, by saying combat, he had gone directly to the declare attackers uh, phase. So it was too late for him to do any of these, too late for him to do any crewing and too late for him to do the Wellfast engineer. Uh, to Tian's defense, he had mentioned on, on Facebook, what he was calling the judge for was because on the trigger of Wellfast engineer says, target artifact gives plus two plus zero. So at the point that you let that, I guess, trigger resolve, it, it can't target the Heart of Kirin because it's not a creature yet. It's still an artifact. And at that point, it's too late to crew it to, to make it become a creature. And that's my understanding of the situation. And of course, there's been a lot of strong opinions uh, and, and from some notable personalities, namely Kai, who was really appalled when he first saw the the ruling because uh, to him, it was clear that Caesar just react after he said combat, it just took a mere seconds to do the crewing. It, it just appeared evident that what he intended to do was 
was do that and, and then go to attackers. So, Brian, I know you were really strong on Twitter, so I'll let you talk about it while I look up Caesar's last name. <laughs> uh, his last name's Segovia. I got that oh, from Segovia. the chat. Okay. But, uh, yeah, this, this, was, this was a bad situation, and it should have never, ever, ever been broadcast to the audience. That's the huge problem with it. And if the tables weren't mic'd, it wouldn't have been. Um, but I, I believe that what Tien did was technically – correct under the rules. I would have never done it in a million years. I think less of him for having done it. And I I think that I think that when you're dealing with an opponent with a language barrier as like part of someone who embraces the global nature of the game of magic and loves the global nature of the game of magic, I I think that it's important that you work with your opponent to get through that language barrier and to work and keep things as clear as possible and it it just seemed again from hearing the table interactions, which I should have never heard, that uh, Tien was looking for his chance to pounce on this mistake made by uh, Cesar. And that, that's not how I want to play Magic. I don't think it's how the top players, Pro Tour players, should want to play Magic. I, I do think that it was technically correct. Um, but the real problem I have with this situation is just, like, the extreme hate that this guy experienced afterwards. Like, just personal... And I don't, I don't think Kai crossed the line into personal attacks. I think it's okay to say, um, I didn't like what this guy chose to do. Uh, I would have never done it. I think you cross the line when you say you should have never done that, and you're scum because of it. When you target it at the person, it's different than expressing your opinion out into the ether. Um, because it sounded like in the days, at least the day following uh, this incident, he really took this to heart, was really beat up over the incident. And I think he regrets the way he played this situation, but you kind of have to make a mistake like this to learn the type of person you really want to be. And, you know, I remember it, this is goes so, so far back. I think this literally, literally might be 1994. And in 1994, I was young, very young, uh, maybe like 12 or something like that. And sleeves had just started being used in tournaments. And people were very weird about sleeves being used in tournaments. Like, nobody liked it. It felt like you could get away with something and, like, playing with marked cards. So there was a rule that if you wanted to, you could ask your opponents to take off their sleeves before a game, and they had to do it, Um, which sounds crazy now. But this was the rule, and they had to comply, and they had to take their sleeves off. And I did this to someone at – this was probably my first Magic tournament ever. And I, like, read stories about people doing it, and I thought it was so cool. And I I made someone take their sleeves off like a super expensive deck loaded with Jazam Dijins and other such uh, insane cards. And afterwards, the judges came up to me, and they're like, you know, you can do that, but it's really – kind of stupid and you kind of make yourself an ass and i i learned yeah i was being an ass i would never do that now i regret doing it then you know this is me 20 years later telling this story and still having regrets about it so but my point is that if i had made that mistake on camera would people have come after me and torn me apart and you know destroyed my love for the game all the way back then and i wouldn't have this 20-year magic career and set of experience to look back on that's a really scary thought um so you know, Wizards bear some of the blame in this situation for miking the table. I'm convinced of that. Um, but also, I think we as a community have to do a better job of policing cheating, which this wasn't even cheating. This was just kind of like rules lawyering. Um, but doing so in a way that isn't as confrontational, I think, because this was an ugly situation. Yeah, I agree with a lot of uh, a lot of your sentiments there that this definitely wasn't cheating and 
10 from my perspective as a viewer i i didn't feel like was just trying to be like oh ha 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 you said the magic words you don't get to attack i do think the trigger might have been the part that was um more in question and uh just toby Elliott, who ended up ruling in the end he wrote an article uh, on on this subject it's called do not pass go it's an amazing article on this communicating shortcut uh, barrier where there's a lot of explanation and he does very clearly say in the article that um, triggers aren't missed if you just say combat uh, unless they're targeted you need to acknowledge it and what Caesar said was he said combat crew this and so he didn't like say the trigger yet and so by the time that he's crewing this he's already missed the trigger because he didn't declare a target so the trigger part i'm not too worried about it's the whole combat crew this he didn't end up getting to crew it and in the same article it says very clearly you're allowed to say beginning of combat activate my wandering fumarole that's not merely allowed it's encouraged so i felt like the ruling was actually wrong just flat out as a level one judge i'm not an expert but i really felt like the ruling was just made incorrectly and that made it even worse in my opinion the whole situation and uh, Tien uh, just kind of profited from it, which I think helped color some people's negative um, comments towards him. I have a personal interaction with him. At Pro Tour Atlanta, I played against him. And honestly, it was by far my most pleasant loss of the tournament. Um, he was a great opponent, super friendly. Afterwards, like we were playing a mirror match and he top eight a GPU at the same deck. So I asked him for some advice and he helped me with my play, like some things he noticed. Very friendly guy. Um, so I hate that this all happened to him, um, but I think it's fair when your opponent misses a trigger to get them to miss the trigger. It just kind of sucks that in the end, it wasn't just the missed trigger. It was the crewing wasn't allowed also, which I think is just a misruling. Um, so my whole position on it is I don't really blame him for calling judge about the trigger, um, but it does kind of suck the way everything else happened because language barriers are real. So if this guy is trying to like say the words beginning of combat crew this, and there's like this half second pause because he's thinking of the words to me, it's like, okay, it's very clear what he's trying to do. You know, if he'd said it like half a second faster, I wouldn't have even considered calling a judge. I'm not going to try and get someone for that pause. Right. Um, and that's where this line of like, it's legal to call judge there, but you don't have to. Right. Like, that's kind of where it's at. I agree also on the miking thing. I think they should be miked up to the commentators, personally, because then yes. they can they can communicate to us, like, uh, yeah. oh, yeah, what he actually said and why this works is he said, okay, that's why this happened. Because they might be like, whoa, did he miss his opportunity to do this? Um, but, yeah, we, we just shouldn't hear it. So that's where I sit on all this. Mm-mm. Mr. Lombardi. Yeah, so... Um... I wasn't watching when this was happening. Um, what, what did he try to? Uh, what was he trying to target with the Weldfast engineer? Was it Heart of Kieran? It was the uncrewed. He said, "Combat crew this, target this." It was kind of like that. Is kind of how it got yeah, explained so, to the judge. And so, so like, but he it, did have I, other I artifacts for the record that he could legally target, which is relevant to the discussion. But right, but if you're in beginning of combat, you. You can't target, uh, you can't target Heart of Kieran if it's not already crewed. That's like, fine. It has to be crewed in your main phase. Yeah, so yeah, that makes total sense. But that's not where they went with it. Like you're, you're 100 yeah, right. I think that's indisputable. 
Yeah. Even if he moved to being in combat, he shouldn't have gotten to target the heart, but he should have gotten to target something else and still activate his heart. He couldn't activate the heart or target yeah. anything else. They just yeah, but if he's trying to crew, if he's trying to crew the heart to target it, then he's he's like already assumed that he's in beginning of combat and missed the trigger, right? Because that happens at the beginning of combat. He hasn't selected a target. But then he should get he should get to crew. Then he should still get to crew it, right? I yeah. missed the trigger. No, because because he doesn't because. Now there's nothing to retain priority for him, right? Because he's already showed that he's missed it. But he retains priority by saying the words, combat crew my copter, which is a legal statement. Very clearly in the MTR, you are allowed to make that statement. Because Unless he, yeah, yeah, maybe. It depends how he words it. Like, if you wait for... He doesn't like, speak English as his first language. That's, that's, that's the huge That's problem. definitely a problem, sure. But, like, if you wait for, like, even a brief amount of time where your opponent, now he thinks, like, you're not going to crew your heart of Kieran or he thinks your heart of Kieran's not going to get the plus three plus O he can react to that. Right. Like he might go, Oh, I'll, I'll kill. Like if your heart of Kieran's only gonna be a four, four, I'll unlicense disintegration. You're well fast engineer right now. Then um, like, I don't, there's different, like it just because you, you couldn't explain what your intent was. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't be punished for, for miss, like not being able to communicate that. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I agree. It sucks for him, and uh, I like I feel bad for him. And I I definitely have had it happen to me before, where like I wasn't sure really like what is the order of sequencing. And like when you play online, a lot of this stuff becomes a lot more clear to you. So it's it makes a lot more sense, and you know what you need to say and how you need to do things so that your opponent understands that you're not trying to scum them. But the rules need to be that way so that people can't fish for information. Because like if you say combat and wait. And I look at you, and you do nothing, and then I do something. I now have like, but we're not describing that information, right? We're not describing a wait. Like that's the whole point of the one sentence. And the fact that he had a language barrier may have made that speech slower. But guess what? His speech was slower the entire match. It's not like this is out of out of character, right? So it was. You need to watch it if you're going to comment on it, honestly, because he literally says, "Combat crew my vehicle." Like and his opponent says, "You said combat. It's declaring attackers or whatever." Like there's, right. it's Kobe Elliott says that combat is a shortcut to attacks, right? That's that's the basis of the ruling is that apparently, and I I certainly had no clue of this is that if you say just the word combat, that means you are in declare attackers. You are not in the beginning of combat phase. No matter what you do following just the word combat, I promise you, I personally have said combat and then thought myself in the declare attacker or in the beginning of combat phase many, many, many times. Just the, the placement of that, if you're going to have a shortcut, the placement makes no sense. No, but this ruling's, combat, not, this ruling's not new. Like Pro Tour Born of the Gods, Sean McLaren did this exact same thing to Patrick Dickman, where he said combat, Patrick Dickman said okay, and he's like jammed with Snapcast right. range. He's but like, that's not what happened. It's, it, that he, it was it, not it, combat that, okay. That, that is not it's what the happened. Reverse, Doug. Like the rules the way it is so that you can't do what Sean was trying to do to Patrick. Well, one because interesting he said combat, thing. combat, right? He yeah, but combat, Rob, one interesting thing for you to go and do is watch this first before you comment on it because Toby gives the ruling and it's mic'd. And when he gives the ruling, he literally says the words, you are allowed to say combat and do this in one sentence and it's legal. He actually says that in his ruling. And the guy is kind of like, isn't that what I did? Because it is what he did. 
So okay, well, I'll, like I'll listen. Actually, I'll listen to it and and, and make. I'll, I'll I'll update my commentary next week. It's actually but insane to me. If there's the any significant pause, then I have like that's just it is the way it's, it is. And it's because they both had to communicate the ruling to the judge, and the judge communicated to Toby. This is why the ruling got made. It's not because the judge heard what happened. And it's also Cesar first explained it in English when he was very clearly struggling with English. He should have had an interpreter at the table yeah. from the beginning. Like I was thinking to myself, what if I was playing this game in Portuguese or Japanese? Like I don't know the word for beginning in any language but English. I'm completely worthless. So even if I played yeah, so the game in French, which I speak a little bit of, I would I would be horrible. I would be making mistakes all over the place. So I, I just didn't feel good about the situation. Regardless, though, I, I, I really want to focus on I, mean, I know you guys have other priorities, but we should have never heard this. We should have no we should not be talking about this right now. It's not useful to get this information into the viewers. They need to not mic the tables anymore. Wizards, if anyone there listens to one second of this podcast, take the mics off the tables. They are not doing anything good for your broadcast. I promise. Hmm. That's actually a very interesting take, Brian, because I'm used to. Like the number one thing I compare it to all, all the time is when I think about live coverage and cards is like poker and obviously you have the banter and everything, but you don't need like there's no need for that type of banter in Magic. So Star City proves that Star City is the gold standard for coverage and it will remain that way until Wizards ups its game. I'm sorry, that's the I understand that Wizards you're the flagship. Star City does a better job than you. Watch what they do. They do not <laughs> they do not mic the tables. Uh, you're making a huge mistake by doing so. Well, that's pretty. Yeah, I didn't think about that at all. That there, there, that it might be just pure upside to 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 mute them. Pretty good point, Brian. And Doug, you had mentioned uh, Tian Nguyen, your interaction with him. Uh, my only interaction with him was I actually approached him to to write an article for Mana Deprived. He was the original architect of the red green Titan ship deck that Oliver Two uh, took and did really well with, and asked him to to write a. A primer for me, and he was kind enough to to submit it to me. So that's my only interaction. Seemed like a pretty cool and chill guy, and uh, saw his Facebook post, his emotional Facebook post, talking about the distress that was caused by all the hate. And this was an interesting interaction where someone on Reddit posted that Facebook post, not knowing that Tian had meant it to be a friends only post because we're. I think all of us. Maybe not Brian, because, of course, at one point his Twitter was protected. Brian was very careful about his social media. A lot of us just, like, randomly add any uh, Magic fan or, or, or Magic player that, that just knows us or have played us blindly add. I've done that countless times, and, and I guess this is what happened here. And, and something pretty personal was posted on, on Facebook, and, and all the guy wanted was to hope to paint the other side of the picture. And I guess a lot of getting a lot of Reddit support. So I hope uh, he doesn't, I hope he can come back from this and, and, and play magic. Um, so the, the other, other controversy uh, that was had was that Brock Parker got uh, DQ'd. Uh, Doug, why, why don't you talk about that? I don't have too much. There's not too much to debate about Brock Parker who had, who had different, there was just different life total situation. Yeah, there's not too much controversy with the actual disqualification. Um, the thing that for me was really hitting me this week is I've talked to local players, just people uh, that I know that don't feel like it's you know that big a deal when you notice something wrong and you don't say it. 
because you're like, well, I'm not actively cheating. I just noticed something. Maybe his life pad had me like one higher life and they, they can kind of justify it to themselves. It's like, oh, well, maybe I messed up earlier. So whatever, I'll just adjust it. He'll never know and move on. Like that just is blatantly cheating. Just tr- straight up, that is cheating. It is like awful. And Brock got in a situation that we only got a small blurb, but it, it came down to him noticing something and not notifying or correcting it. That's just straight cheating. In my in my head, I'm one of the type of people that when I see someone like blatantly cheating, I start to question a lot of their you know past performances and stuff. And I'm not gonna make any radical claims, but it just really goes around in my head, starting to think about uh, these type of things. And it's a, it's a big shame because I hate that you know these top players or people that have been touted by top players or people that uh i want to root for they just do stuff like this like come on like why can't we play in a world where we're trying to win a game of magic not win a game of mind games outside of the rules like i always come back to the kenji samura incident where bdm walked up to him at a gp and he looked upset and bdm asked him what happened and he said oh my opponent played a pact of negation right after the card got printed and uh the next turn he untapped and drew and forgot to pay for it. And BDM was like, Oh, so you won. What are you upset about? He's like, I couldn't stop him in time. I couldn't get him to pay in time. And so he got a game loss and he was upset about that. And like, there's a reason I picked last samurai as my team. Like that is pure sportsmanship. That's the game. You're playing magic. You're not just, Oh, he forgot. And luckily the rules have kind of become a little bit more lenient on some of this stuff, but you know, that's the type of thing that, you know, I really value in magic and I don't want to help my opponents too much, but at the same time, like packed in negation or whatever, these little things that you miss, I, I don't want people to just be scumming other people. Try to win the game. Don't try to take an edge. So that's kind of the thing I wanted to highlight about it personally. And, and he did this, he got DQ'd. I straight up hope he gets banned because I don't want that kind of scumbag behavior anywhere near the pro tour personally. To, to me, Doug, like, how do you even catch this, though? When I see, like, the description of the cheat, to me, it's like, how, how does it, anyone get caught with this? It just seems so easy to get away with. Yeah, it is. It, these type of, like, discrepancy cheats are so easy to get away with. But what will sometimes happen, and I've done this before, and, and we even saw it on camera, uh, Sammy T's match against the guy who won the Pro Tour, there was this turn where he played an Inventor's Apprentice uh, or something like that, and crewed a Heart of Kieran with it, which he then crewed a uh, Skyship with and attacked, and Sammy put his creature in the graveyard, and the judge then was like, yo, you didn't even have enough um, power to crew. And I've been in spots where like something like that has happened, and then I've saw it like, a few seconds later, and it clicks in my head that, like, oh, my opponent shouldn't be able to do that. And if I call a judge, and then the judge investigates and finds out they actually knew the whole time, um, they just didn't say anything about it. You know, there's been DQs that have happened in the past. I could name names, but I don't have to get into it. Some big names have been DQ'd for similar things. Um, You just got to be constantly thinking about the game and you can maybe catch your opponents if they're doing that. Uh, Obviously you can't just like bait someone into doing that because that's just cheating like yourself. But, uh, but yeah, just be vigilant, pay attention, be aware, do your best. And we're all gonna make mistakes. Like, do I think that that guy was trying to pull a fast one on Sammy. No, he seemed super embarrassed about it. It was just a mistake. Sammy didn't catch it. You know, 
like these things happen, mistakes do happen, but that point of awareness will usually come where you realize the mistake has happened. Either you did it or your opponent did it. I've called a judge before and said, Hey, I just realized like three turns ago, I didn't have enough mana to cast this card. Like, and yes, that by calling it, I'll get a warning that goes on my file. If I do it a few times, I'm going to get game losses, DQs, like, but I have to do it. I have to call a judge. You just have to be honest. You can't just let that stuff slide. Hmm. It's not really related. It just reminds me of something I talked about my own personal situation at the ATM at the PT where I could have easily gone away with something and I couldn't bring myself to, which is, uh, I was playing Infect and just protecting my creature from a Searing Blaze with Apostle's Blessing. My opponent didn't know that I, I still take three. That I had to tell him, like, I, I take three. And I was against Mono Red where, where every point of damage counts. And I'm, like, so incentivized not to tell him that I'm taking three. But I'm like, I, I have to be honest. And uh, this was, like, at the might have been one of the last rounds of day one where, where I was on a hot run but I eventually lost to the, to the mono red player. Um, wow. What an episode. Uh, we're going to finish with a, f- with a fun topic since we've gone a bit longer than usual. Uh, a topic that I expected us to do a long time ago. I just wasn't sure we were ready for it because this is we're this show is based off the influence that I got from first take. And if on first take, all they do is talk about who they think the greatest player of all time is. And Let's start with, with you, Doug, actually. What is your current top five in the PV's recent top eight changes that around for you? Um, I think PV's top eight for me does actually um, jump him up on my top five. Uh, going into this Pro Tour, I was personally really high on LSV because I felt like he had done stuff in back you know years ago and again now and his sick run now and just his like influence on some of uh some of the team's success so i had i had in first place i had john finkel um and in second i had kai these are just you know john and kai are the one and two in my opinion i had lsv at three before this pro tour but after kind of the last little bit and reevaluating and and the fact that you know pv is an active player right now i actually have pv at third uh, all time. I think his just number of top eights is sick. He has a win on his resume. He's super consistent. He does well in GPs. He's a consummate professional. And like he, he shows his, his mind and his theory through his articles, which are incredible. And he just has a great brain for the game. Uh, so he's my number three. My number four is actually still LSV personally. Um, I think that even though he's not playing right now, he just is an incredible player. And my number five, which I'm debating switching around, but for now I'm keeping uh, who it's been for for years and years, and that's Gabriel Nassif. Like he's uh, he's just a sicko. So that's my top five right now. Okay, good, good. So, what about you, Brian? Is your list different from Doug? Uh, not not hugely so. I, one's John. It's probably going to remain John forever since he keeps being awesome. Uh, two is Kai, seven Pro Tour wins. That's insane. Uh, three, for me, it's now PV. I think that Kai needs to start watching his rear view, probably. I mean, I, Kai himself, I think, will tell you he's not the player he was um, back in the day. And I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, he, he's still great. He can certainly pick up another top eight. 
uh, along the way. But the way PV converts, man, the highest conversion rate of any player in Pro Tour history, he's going to have more Pro Tours under his belt, and he's going to win some of them too. And, uh, you know, it might be three or four years from now we're starting to talk about him supplanting that number that number two spot. But he's in three spot for now. Uh, LSV seems like a good four. And I kind of – when I do this list, I can't tell you exactly technical play, you know, who's the actual – because I haven't played against a lot of these guys. A lot of them I have played against. Um, but the person, if I'm making my Hall of Fame, building a Hall of Fame, the person I'm putting in at number five is Patrick Chapin. And people always kind of, like, raise their eyebrows at that. But I think he's done so much uh, in terms of his writing, especially for me personally. I, when I returned to Magic after many years off and like first entered the competitive scene, he was the guy that like as soon as I started reading articles, I'm like, this guy knows what he's talking about. I'm listening to him. I love the way he thinks about the game. I love the way he writes about the game. Uh, and he certainly has results to go with that, too. Um, so he would be my number five. I know it's a little unorthodox. I think I think Nassif is a fine pick, too. But for me, it's Chapin. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned Nassif. I had to laugh when Spencer – I don't know. I haven't watched Nassif too much in his prime, but one one of those listeners and friends of, of, of mine, Spencer Howland, uh, when he, I laughed when he tweeted, I wish I could enjoy watching Nassif play Magic because he's great, but he's so slow it's impossible to enjoy it. And I've seen – the one match I remember watching is him against Ari Lax where uh, Ari Lax playing Infect and Nasif was playing Affinity. And I guess he was so freaked out about getting killed by Infect that he did tank a lot and, and the judge called him on it. So don't know if he, if he was always that slow in, in his prime. Yes. I, I think that's another reason I like him so much because I'm also really slow. And he also does the same thing as me where he's like, he's a really good tactical long game player, great at planning turns in, in advance. But every now and then he'll just like, do something so boneheaded on board. You're like, isn't this one of the greatest players of all time? And yeah. he just misses something obvious, which is like, I understand. I, I do the same thing. I know exactly where it's coming from. He gets lost. He, he can't see the, the trees for the forest sometimes. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a lot of fun to watch if you can take the pace. <laughs> Rob, is your, is your top five any different from these gentlemen? Uh, not really. I mean, like there's a huge gap between like the very good players and then, like, I mean, the best of all time and then just the very good players. So I def- obviously have Finkel at number one. I mean, I don't think you can really argue PV being number two over Kai because people, people still argue that Kai might be number one over John, right? Like that argument is going on for, for quite a while. And some people still say like, oh, you know, like Kai could still be argued as, as best, you know. He has a lot of wins. <laughs> um, so just being able to like just crush the tournament – uh, when it comes down to it. like if he made it to Sunday, he um, he won seventy percent of the top eight pro tours he's ever played in. This is like completely ridiculous, right? So I, I don't think PV's there yet. PV's obviously insane. He's a clear number three. I think um, he he passed Nasif, and I, I would have argued for him over Nasif. Uh, you know, even without this pro tour top eight. Um, and I, I kind of agree with these guys. Like I didn't really think about it a lot, but I, I would probably put LSV above Nasif now just based on his, like, recent results, right? He's really, like, turned it up. He's been consistent for a long time. Like, I don't really know how much Nassif plays Magic anymore. I feel like he's not really into it uh, in, in the way that he was previously. Um, so that's probably why his, like, recent results might be uh, lacking a bit. Um, but I think he's clear 
clear number five. I don't think you can argue Patrick Chapin <laughs> over to Steve. There's a lot of people I put over Patrick Chapin. Patrick Chapin's a great player. He's also a great mind, but I mean, like, I'm not going to sit here and say like Owen Turnwald is a worse Magic player than Patrick Chapin. Like, I, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't say that either. But for me, it's a Hall of so, Fame, a Hall of Greatness, <laughs> Hall of Greatness. <laughs> It's not the greatest of all time. It's the Hall of Greatness. There are different requirements. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Actually, let's um, clarify that, Brian. If it was like best five play- players of all time, like you're saying Chapin wouldn't be your fifth. No, he would not. Okay. okay. Nope. Okay. Now, I was I was approaching the question from a Hall of Fame standpoint, which is how I always have these discussions. But if you're talking just great technical play, I, I think unquestionably you put in Steve above Chapin. You put a lot of people above Chapin. I think yeah. his contributions are broader than that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he's like one of the best. Like he's probably the greatest contributor the game has ever had, right? Just in terms of output of material that has kind of stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I don't think you can argue that. So yeah, so I, uh, while these guys were yakking about something else, I was looking at the, the video of Caesar and, uh, and uh, Tian, I guess is his name. Um, and I, I agree with the judge's ruling because he said combat and not beginning of combat. So like the precedent's been set from the Dickman, uh, Sean McClary match where like, when you say combat, you're assumed to go to attackers. Um, and that's what he said. He said combat. He didn't say begin of combat, beginning of, or announce beginning of combat crew. I know there's a language barrier, but there, there, you know, there's a clear distinction in the rules that that have a, a difference in the shortcut or, or intention when you say beginning of combat, when you say combat. So I think Rob, that's now, why he now got knowing screwed. now knowing how that rule works. If you were in uh, Tian's position, would you have called the judge as soon as he said combat? I don't know if I would have picked up on it. But, but now, now, obviously, you would, right? So I'm saying, like... No, but I probably still would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, don't I don't pay a lot of attention when I'm playing it, Magic. It depends. It, it depends. Like, um, <laughs> uh, they were both undefeated, right? So it's going to be really cutthroat. It's at the PT. So uh, I'm not sure. Maybe I would have made the exact same call. But I, I've been uh, pretty strict on the rules in, in in different situations that are maybe not this egregious, but uh, some people may argue are pretty close. I mean, um, it, it's tricky, though. I mean, like, people have done it and not got lambasted the way that this guy has. Like, no one really ripped up McLaren when he tried, when he kind of, like, got Dickman there <laughs> with the Snapcaster. But people, like, all over this guy, like, oh, he scummed him. It's like, this precedent's been set. Like, I don't know. He just, that's the way the rules are, right? So if they don't like it, then they got to change the rules. <laughs> I wonder if Doug's holding. <laughs> I'm holding ahead, back. I've said everything it. I want to. I, I've laid my opinion out. I, uh, I think Rob is just wrong on this one. The word "combat crew" this is completely legal. Um, yeah, this one sucks, but whatever. Hey, you can crew. You can crew it in your in your declare attacker step. But there's oh, also reasons to crew in in combat. Like toolcraft exemplar is a great one. So you're also allowed to to do it in your combat step. So, anyways, I love it. I love it. <laughs> there's just, but there's just Doug. There's no reason for him not to do it in his main phase. That's the problem, right? Like you can just play well, fast engineer, crew, heart of Kieran, go to combat, right? He Rob, we that. know that doesn't matter. There's no reason for them to sack that enchantment on their end step and not just untap, draw a card, <laughs> and get revolt. Just because there's no good reason for people to do stuff doesn't mean that it's not legal for them to do it. That's my point. Well, we'll see. We'll see if the rules get updated. I mean, they're definitely very strict to stop people from getting scummed. And when you have yeah. rules like that, you're, they're, 
they're going to scum people in the opposite direction sometimes, right? Well, I like the combat, and then opponent says okay, and then you can't do anything. I like that rule, but that's not what happened. So, but what if he would have said okay, combat okay? okay. <laughs> if he cuts off a sentence, there's like yeah. a there's there's literally a rule in in the MTR that talks about you're not allowed you to can't cut off a sentence. <laughs> do, do, no, you can't do things to make your opponent miss triggers or um, miss their play pattern. You cannot do that within the rules, sure. so. Sure. <laughs> this, this is, I love this. This is like the most genuine, I think this is the most genuine heated debate between Rob and Doug since episode one. I'm not, I'm not angry about this. I mean, it just, <laughs> it's, it was a legal, it was a legal thing to make a judge call for. The judge ruled on it. The judge is like an L4 or L5, so. Yeah, I mean, well, and that's why I said I have nothing wrong with what Tan did. I just, I think the ruling was wrong. That's my position. Okay, so I, I've seen like people discuss the interesting thing for me is like people discussing the ruling, and then you have a bunch of level one or level two or even level three judges. Their reply is just a link to the magic blog, <laughs> a magic judges blog, and then Kai's like, I, I don't care how many magic blog links that you sent me, I, I feel the same way, and I shouldn't have to, you know, know all the rules from, from the magic blog should be more, I guess, intuitive than. than you know, people shouldn't have to feel like they might get screwed if they don't keep up yeah. to date with all the rules. And uh, I think Rob and, and Doug, like when you mentioned, I think it's written in, in one of the blog posts that were, was linked that more often than not, there's no reason, I guess, to do, except for toolcraft, to, to, I guess, to make sure that you don't screw yourself over to just do it in your main phase, it seems yeah, like. Or floating mana is another big one that happens sometimes. But yeah, you usually do it before obviously especially if you have the creature that pumps it like duh but it's because your opponent very rarely does anything at the end of your main one like yeah. i don't have an end of main one trigger set on my on my moto profile <laughs> i have a, a trigger stop oh, I, I have all the stops baby i, I, I oh, you're the worst you're the worst kind the of person <laughs> <laughs> like so terrible <laughs> We're swapping all over the place, man. I need to know where your draw step ends. You tell me that. I need to know where we're going into your end step. All of these things are important to me. Your F2 key must be just mashed. Like, I have, I didn't have a beginning of combat stop on my own turn before because that was also a spot where you very rarely do anything. But a stupid Toolcraft Exemplar made me put one there now, and it's so annoying. <laughs> I don't know, Brian, how you live with, like, all 16 stops or whatever. I, I have a hotkey. I, I have two hotkeys on my thumb button on my mouse, and one is the, you know, pass until my opponent does something, and then oh, okay. uh, the quick pass. So. <laughs> I get by. Fair enough. You guys make me. I think this is a feature I'd like to see MTGO have if it works. Like I think it does. I think it doesn't sync the keyboards. It syncs into the computer, not to your account. So if you're on a different computer, it's just like I, I've played it before, where I'm like, okay, I jump on someone's laptop, and I'm just like, oh, now now yeah. I have to like. I got wrecked. In. I got wrecked in a PTQ like a month ago online because. A moto wouldn't load on my laptop, so I had to load it up on my desktop. And it was like the standard, like new default hotkeys or whatever the stupid things are. And I pressed two or F two or whatever, like trying to figure out how to pass. And it was just like F eight instead. I just like went right through my whole turn. <laughs> what just happened? Like, and the sound probably went. <laughs> yeah, and my opponent was probably just like, "Oh my god, I'm not dead." <laughs> 
and, uh, and yeah, so I didn't make top eight. And then I, they gave me a free token, though, so I got to build a really terrible sealed deck the week after that and get wrecked. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right, this was a sweet cast. Lots to talk about, and there's a lot more that we could have talked about. Thank you, everyone in the chat, for joining us. Shout-outs to Dag. Says that uh, Dagger Forest saying you've been making a lot of facepalm arguments, Rob. So he's on Team Doug, as <laughs> is probably most of the chat. So, <laughs> so uh, see you guys next week, and uh, you know, hopefully we, we might have a guest. Like Hayne was, int- I, w- I was going to get Hayne to come on, but he just arrived back from from the PT from Ireland, so he was probably sleeping, probably. Uh, but uh, see you all next week. Thank you.